Welcome to The Good Life Pod, the podcast where I explore what it means to have a life well lived. I am your host, Madeline Guillen, and today I have the honor of talking to the resilient, the fiercely independent, the kick-ass woman that is my mom. How are you? Good. <laughs> Even better hearing the uh, comments. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been using you for all my projects lately. I mean, you've been the star of the documentary I produced last semester. I've written about you and your life countless times. And today you're sitting down with me on the pod. But I know not everyone knows you. So for those who haven't had the privilege, I'm sitting down with Jennifer Guillen, my rule-following, justice-oriented type 1 mom. You know, how I love my Enneagrams. We've talked about this before. <laughs> um, who is probably the first person that I think of when I think about what it means to pursue the good life. But we'll get into that a little bit later. The first mom, what else do you want people to know about you? What did I leave out? What's, what's your, I don't know, what do you want people to know about you? I don't know. It sounds like you've covered it pretty well. I'm honest to a T and to a fault, some people say. <laughs> the type one you talk about. So, I don't know. Well, the reason that I said that you're the first person that I think of when I think about the good life is because, to me, you really embody resilience. Because, I mean, I won't beat around the bush. Like, you've had a lot handed to you in life. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've had, I've had a, a barrel full. <laughs> yeah. And not that I want to make you flesh out all those things, but I think knowing that about you, I've always been a little bit afraid of how much life can maybe be scary <laughs> because of everything you've gone through. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I always just think about that and I'm like, I don't know if I could do it. Um. I mean, not to get into too much detail, but the big thing I think about was what you went through with dad, you know? Mm -hmm. When he got sick, it wasn't really a question of whether you would take care of him. You just did. And you worked full time and you took care of us and did so much. Like, what was that like? It was hard, but it was something that I feel like there was no doubt as to whether I would do it or not. Even though some of his family said they wouldn't do it. And some said that in their culture, the wives in Ecuador would divorce the husbands if they were sick. <laughs> and they were astonished that I stayed and stayed married and stayed to take care of them. But to me, it's not a question. I took my wedding vows seriously. And when it says in, in sickness or in health, well, sickness happened and that's why I vowed to do when we married and um, it was tough but just had to do one day at a time yeah I, I don't necessarily miss those days yeah they were hard and draining emotionally physically it was it was a, a challenge what kept you going though because I know I didn't understand a lot of what that was like, and it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't like you always had it together, like I knew that you were being stretched thin, but I don't know if I really stopped to think about what that was like for you. I mean, is there something that you wish that I understood during those years? Um, I, the vows I took and remembering who your dad was when we first met before he had his first seizure. That's something you wish that I understood? 
that that was my reason for also deciding to help to help him. Okay, yeah. And knowing that there was going to be no one else, none of his family. And if it was me, uh, if it happened to me of having any debilitating disease, I would hope that he would in turn help take care of me or at least have a person <laughs> that could take care of me. So, and also I think it's because it was your father. I would want you guys to know that when, as a family unit, when one person's down, we all pull together to pick each other up. Even if that person has done or said things that are hurtful or harmful, that you still remember, though, that they are uh, a child of God, as we all are, and that you still press forward to do what is right. You may not agree with what they've done or said, but what is it that God asks of us? What does God want from us? Was that what you leaned on <clears throat> a lot during that time was faith? I did. I, I, I think I couldn't have done it without faith. And um, as crazy as that, like as a, as a kid, I had a difficult childhood. And I think me, before I came to Christ, knowing there had to be something greater, got me through that. And well, now and then, um, since being a follower of Christ since 2007, and when this came about with your dad being sick, started getting sick around 2009, 2008 really, really 2009, then the next two years, testing, testing, testing to see what was wrong. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for God, I, I couldn't have done it. I find that really interesting because I had a little bit of a different relationship with that where I was like brought up Christian and it was so easy for me to believe but going through that was what complicated my walk with Christ. Whereas I feel like you leaned on it, it made me super angry and I felt betrayed and forgotten. I don't know why that was, why, like, for some people, hard things can make them feel closer to their spiritual beliefs, and for others, it's, like, the thing that kind of breaks it. I think, because for me, I went through a difficult childhood, where I lived that, where I did not know Christ, but I, going based on my uh, initial upbringing of the Indian belief system, and then they being raised in Episcopal and Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Could you still, still not coming to Christ? Could you clarify that part about the Indian belief system? Because I don't know that everybody knows that what that means. So that Indian belief system is that there is a spirit to explain everything: the wind, the trees, the earth, people's behaviors, and so it's not Christ; it's spirits. Mm-hmm. And we were talking Indian. For Cherokee Indian is my mm-hmm. father's background. And my mother raised my sister and I to know our heritage, but also we only knew of that heritage. I grew up not even thinking I had any European, Caucasian, even though my mother was purely looking at her Caucasian. She had very fair skin, bluish eyes. My sister had blonde hair, blue eyes. But we were raised... Um, 
that we were only Cherokee Indian. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was in high school that it kind of dawned on me that there was more to my background. And um, so my mother had us in a uh, Cherokee uh, like preschool. Uh, we went to Cherokee camps. We had Cherokee um, activities where we learned um, how to make jewelry, how to make a drum, how to, to use the drum. We went to powwows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that was our life. Uh, yeah. I think it's interesting that you call it like your Indian belief because that's something that I don't know a lot of people are kind of getting away from not to diverge too much I just think mm-hmm. it's interesting because that almost sounds like to people's ears it's like no we say American Native or Cherokee but that was what you guys grew up saying and within your tribe right mm-hmm. just saying Indian or Indian American it's interesting um I've always like wondered why it is that this is definitely like a little bit of a divergence from what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to take it. I've always wondered why, like, being that I'm half Ecuadorian, I feel somewhat connected to that because of growing up in it. But I, like, I hear you talk about your Cherokee upbringing, and I have, I don't really understand that. I mean, I understand it intellectually, but that does not feel like me or like a part of me. And it makes me a little bit sad that I don't know anything about that. And I wish that I did. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be honest, whenever I... It always comes back to race for me. <laughs> Not to mm-hmm. make it, but, you know, it's just hard navigating this confusing identity. And whenever I, like, look at, um, like, things that I have to fill out where I check my race, it'll give you an option where it says, you know, Native American, and then in parentheses having heritage and being connected to a tribe and I don't click it because I'm like I'm not connected to a tribe I have no right to really say that I'm Cherokee um I don't know I hear you talk about what it was like to like grow up in that and I feel some type of way like wistful almost I don't know like do you wish that I knew more about that too I do, and I actually just received the drum my sister and I made in books on the on the Cherokees and our family lineage, and I just received through email the the lineology that I want to look at that my mother did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand because when we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, um, kind of felt like I didn't belong, lost connection because. More people were Caucasian, African-American in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, now all of a sudden I felt out of place and not having access to powwows. They were not at a fair. <laughs> the, um, being held like it was some sideshow. Um, and not having more people to know. This, uh, felt, it, felt, it felt hard to live now in a different life. Like, as if, okay, now I'm supposed to only accept the European side. Yeah. And I, so I understand the whole identity because then it went from, okay, this is your heritage, Cherokee Indian. Okay, now you no longer have access to other people or powwows or teachings or anything. Now it's just, it's gone. And now you got to integrate with there were the kids in school, which is, it was basically Caucasian or African-American. 
I think it's so funny how our lives in a lot of ways mirror each other because I felt like I had that same loss as a teenager with like growing up American and Ecuadorian and then when dad died and then, you know, grandma and aunt like moved back home to Ecuador, like I suddenly felt like really confused about my identity because I didn't have anyone to share that with. And it's funny too because I tend to think of myself as this like island because I'm like nobody can really understand because nobody has exactly my heritage and I don't really meet people that are mixed anyway and even if they are it's different because maybe they even have those family members in their life whereas I don't but I never really stop to consider how I think we've had some very similar confusions about what it means to live in two worlds Mm-hmm. because of that like kind of sudden rupture for you it was like moving to the east coast away from the west um, coast where we had access to all of that right and I just I wonder for you like how do you reconcile that as an adult like you still live on the east coast you live in Georgia you as far as I know don't have any community connections to being Cherokee does that make it confusing for you? And I feel like this is crazy that this is like the first time I'm ever really asking you that. Because I feel like I've just been like, no, it's confusing for me. And that's all <laughs> I think about. But I know. Um, it was in the beginning um, for a long time. Um, it wasn't until I think college that I realized just because I'm not in the community with my family in Oklahoma or Washington, and just because I'm not in a powwow or, or participating in activities that teach me about drums and drum sounds, drum, you know, how you, how you use the drum, um, does all of a sudden take away who I am. I was born Cherokee and um, European, and that doesn't just automatically leave my body just because I'm not in... Uh, proximity of someone else mm-hmm. and so when I realized that in college I felt more sure of myself more confident of this is who I am that is my culture that is my background and not being immersed in it by people or access to community or um, classes doesn't take that away and if I allow myself to have people say, oh, well, so if you're not on a reservation, well, you're not Indian. Well, that, that's not true. Just because you're not on a reservation doesn't make you less Indian. Being on a reservation is by choice by certain tribes. Uh, my family side, that was never, um, never a consideration. Mm-hmm. And so I, I felt... Um, I felt better knowing, you know, I am who I am, but do I miss being around it, around my dad's side of the family? I do. Do I miss how I felt like there was this community when I was a kid? Do I miss that? I do. Um, and then sometimes when I hear or see things like, um, that relates to, my family with the Trail of Tears or seeing someone with the last name of Wofford on a street in Carsville, like I saw recently. And it almost feels like 
distant. Like maybe it's not me anymore. Yeah. And um, but the moment I feel that, I have to remember just because I'm aging, <laughs> and that time and the age in Christ means the time's getting longer from the time I was in that community. Does that still change who my dad is, who my aunt is, who my grandparents were on my dad's mm-hmm. side? Does that change that they did not come originally from Georgia and had travel and trail of tears? It does not change that my great aunt and my her parents mm-hmm. had large tracts of land in Oklahoma they claimed that was marked by the government after being pushed out or the furniture. Used to be my granite's house that's now supposed to be in a museum somewhere in Oklahoma. Doesn't change it. I want to get to that point. Because that's how I feel is like... Well, it's funny because when I hear you talk about your heritage, it sounds like I'm talking to someone that isn't even related to me. Because that uh, that, uh, that sounds mm-hmm. weird. But like, yeah. even that feels like removed from me. Because uh-huh. you're talking about how you're struggling to make sense of your Cherokee identity. And I'm listening as if that doesn't even apply to me. But I'm like, I have no clue what that would even mean for me to be Cherokee. Mm-hmm. But then I feel weird. So it's like, well, if my mom identifies as Cherokee, though she's mixed. And if my dad was a Latino man from Ecuador. What does that mean for me? Especially because I'm not immersed in any Latin culture from my family anymore just because of circumstance because of death and because of people moving back to their country like I hear you talk about how you've reconciled your Cherokee heritage in a healthy way and I want to get to that point but it's really hard I think mm-hmm. I it just is rooted in so much like insecurity I and I've talked about this in the pod before so sorry for some repeats but a lot of it is tied to how I look and that it's so silly even because it's not like I wish I looked differently it's not like I'm unhappy with my appearance or that I wished I was pretty or whatever it's not that it's just like I feel like I fall into the camp of being maybe like white passing and I never really stopped to even think about you if that was something that you struggled with because I look like you like literally copy paste (laughs) (laughs) and we are both for those who don't know you know just like olive skinned dark hair you know, tan skin, brown eyes, which kind of falls into the camp of more, like, ethnically ambiguous sometimes. Yes. Um, I've been told that I look like a spicy white. I've been told that, you know, where are you from? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, for me, it's so, I don't know. For me, it's it's a hard thing because it's, like, it's not that I'm upset that people think I'm white, like, because there's something wrong with being white literally said this already before on the pod but it's something I think about a lot I'm like it's not that it's wrong to be white but I don't know what that means if neither of my parents really identify with their European heritage or with being Caucasian how could I you know Mm -hmm. but then when I'm at um, a school where I look like most people I go to school with in the sense that I look generally like a white person I feel insecure that I'm not perceived in the way that I identify does that make it does Mm -hmm. and I never thought to ask you how maybe that has has potentially been something that you could even relate to I'm realizing how much I just internalized this and never really wanted to even ask you if you could even relate because I was like no it's just me and it sucks (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I can relate. And, and like your father, I think for your father, he was Ecuadorian, but his, his family comes from Spain and Germany originally before right. they got into Ecuador and Colombia. And then for my family, come find out we, uh, my dad's side, we come from a family, um, the Walker line in England, mm-hmm. came over here. Then one of the brothers married a Cherokee woman, and that's the line of Cherokees we come from. And it's just that we were just, I was just raised Cherokee only. And your dad was just raised thinking Ecuadorian only. So we kind of really didn't find out until we we're trying to find out his medical background that he had a grandmother in, uh, from Germany. And he was taken aback. And it all comes down to like what we're told by our parents mm-hmm. or how we're raised in the, or in the culture. And then so when we're, he had his moment as an, gosh, he was 35, 36, till he found out mm-hmm. that actually his family line goes, not, it's not just Ecuador and Colombia, it's actually Spain and Germany. Mm-hmm. He was taken aback. And then when I found out in high school, going into college, that actually there's probably maybe more Caucasian in me. <laughs> than you realize. Realize or taught. Yeah. That kind of took me back because... I think what, and I can say this for your dad too, is what kind of surprised us both um, my age and then for him later is, is that why is it then our parents chose to teach or raise us as to one culture? Why did they not teach us both cultures? Right. And that left me stumped, uh, left him stumped. He didn't get an answer from his mother or his father. And, um, and uh, I really didn't ask my parents um, why myself. He did ask, and mm-hmm. they just didn't think anything of us. Like why? Uh, I think to them it's just the family line just extended too far back that to them it wasn't like current enough to be important. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think I think for you. I wanted you to know that there was many different cultures for, for your background, mm-hmm. so you didn't have what your dad and I experienced of being just told one culture, and so you you assimilate and you identify yourself as that one culture. Then later in life, as a young adult or mid adult, like your dad, thirty six, you find out wait wait a minute, actually, mm-hmm. and then that's where it gets confusing. Then you're like, okay, what was the purpose of for an adult to tell a child, no, you're only Ecuadorian. Oh, actually, come find out. Actually, you're Colombian also. Oh, let's go deep further. And then we found out Spain and Germany. Yeah. And then for me, it's like found high schools. Oh, actually, you're not just Cherokee. You're actually European. Oh, actually, the Cherokee side was actually a white man that came from England. Mm hmm. Okay. But why? And that, that, your dad and I had to resolve the why. We didn't get an answer to the why. We just decided we wanted you and your brother just to know that your background is a mixture of different. So you didn't have that late life confusion of identifying or finding yeah. out. Once you know that you know you're made up of a little bit of everything. We're you know we're a multicultural example. <laughs> right, and then I I kind of wish it was like I think you guys did a good job in like 
exposing me to, I guess, my multifaceted cultural identity early on. But I feel like, I don't know. Growing up, I never really questioned that. I was like, that's cool. My mom's Cherokee-American. Um, my dad's Ecuadorian. Like, cool beans. I don't know that I really thought to be insecure by it until I was older. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I think maybe it just had to do with losing dad. And then being like, well, what is my place in the world? Especially with, like... I don't know. I just really wish that my cultural identity was something that is just, like, this really cool celebration of different stuff. I don't know why it's tied so much to, like, insecurity, you know? Like, I don't know why it feels like a slap in the face when I talk to people of Latin descent about... And I just mentioned that my dad was, like, Ecuadorian, and they say something like, oh, that's interesting. I never would have guessed looking at you. And I know they don't mean that in a mean way, and I don't think that's even necessarily a harmful thing to say. I don't know why it makes me feel so, like, I guess it's hurt. not saying, like, oh, you're not, because you don't automatically recognize. Just, like, when I came to South Carolina, I said, oh, what's your background? We can tell there's something about you. It's all Cherokee. Well, why aren't you wearing feathers in your hair? It's like, okay, well, that's a stereotype. Well, actually, <laughs> First I of all. used to on the West Coast, but then I got into fights. So, to keep from getting into fights, <laughs> yeah, I tried to assimilate. Um, but... I think people like to select just one culture and latch on, <clears throat> and people just in general assume mm-hmm. how one culture looks, because <clears throat> like yourself, you look like a typical Ecuadorian female, because the f- especially in your family, all the females look like you, and um, Ecuador was founded by European colonists. And when we go to Ecuador, a lot of the females are light olive skin, the brown eyes, your coloring. For whatever reason, a lot of the men have what your dad now would call the Spaniard nose, mm-hmm. long nose, yeah, and uh, a little darker olive skin, black hair, dark, darker brown eyes. And that's yeah. common. So a lot of it's like a lot of people who are not used to seeing different cultures or people of different um, uh, looks within the culture don't know because do lack of education assume okay if you're a Hispanic you must have dark 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 skin dark hair and actually that's not really true because it can have different colors of skin depending on the Latin location mm-hmm. I think yeah I just mourn that I don't know that idea of what I think it should have been which is like oh I have this really awesome mixed heritage that goes back several generations of lots of different intersections and that's cool I don't know it's frustrating to know that it kind of has turned into this really sore spot for me in terms of being like I have no idea who I am in the world (laughs) especially with the rise of um, really talking about racism in the United States in the past few years especially like I feel like I don't know what perspective I'm talking from am I talking from a place of privilege or not like some people call me a person of color and I don't know if that's quite right because you know Mm -hmm. but I I, I'm like kind of inspired by the way that you've been able to make peace with your racial heritage and I hate that it even is something that we would have to make peace with it should be just it is 
not to end on that kind of note, but um, we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit more about the good life in terms of identity, like we've been talking about, but also in terms of balancing hardship a little bit. I want to get into that a little bit more. Um, Is that okay? Yeah. How do you feel? Good. Okay, good. I I just, I built in pauses into both of my, all of my episodes, just because all podcasts do. Usually it's Mm -hmm. for an ad break, but we don't have any sponsors, so. On both episodes so far, we've talked about kind of traumatic things, so I'll just be like, this podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is like a mental health online thing. Uh-huh. But then I always be like, disclaimer, just kidding. They don't sponsor me. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. Please don't sue me, BetterHelp. Unless you want to sponsor me, please do. But uh-huh. I might have to cut that out because I literally don't want to get in legal trouble. Yeah, yeah let me find that from Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let me just not say that. They actually have people that surf sites and stuff. That's how I found out. Mm-hmm. I was not talking thinking about talking at all about race and this but this sort of came up but anyway is it okay if i talk a little bit more about dad yeah of course okay i have no problem um okay you ready mm-hmm. welcome back to the good life pod y'all let's get back into it um so mom yeah <laughs> we ended on talking a little bit about racial identity, cultural identity, and I guess reconciling it is part of the good life, would you say? It can be, because it can be a good life to know that you feel secure in who you are, because I think America as a whole tries to pigeonhole people, and when you realize you're not necessarily one that can can be pigeonholed if you come from different backgrounds and once you accept that you're not going to be pigeonholed no matter what somebody does and if they try to it doesn't change who you are your background it makes it a lot easier to you know speak with people who may not be as educated or aware because unfortunately there's a lot of people who culturally are not very familiar with anything either outside their city, outside their state, outside the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, a lot of people don't have a lot of, have had a lot of opportunities that I've had or you to travel outside the state like we have or even outside the country like we have. Just shocking, but true. Yeah. And as much as I, I would say that it's been a little bit of a hardship, I guess, to try to make sense of my cultural mm-hmm. identity... Being at the end of my college experience, I feel like I can actually kind of look back and see how it's helped a little bit in terms of like guiding me towards being more empathetic or willing to put myself in different shoes or see different sides because that's all I've ever known how to do is to navigate multiple worlds mm-hmm. and multiple world views. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I do hope in the future that I, I can kind of learn how to own that too mm-hmm. um i did kind of want to circle back and talking about different kinds of hardship um so i know we talked a little bit about you taking care of dad and you having a hard childhood and just i just feel like a lot of shit has just been handed to you <laughs> and i like literally mean it when i say like i don't know how i would have done it 
I don't think I could have. I might have just disappeared in the dead of night. You know, like, <laughs> it's just insane. And you surprise me and wow me every every time I really think about it. Um, so I guess my question <laughs> is, I mean, do you think someone can live a difficult life and still say that it's been a good life? Yes. Um. I think when you count on blessings and don't count on the negative, it can be still a good life. If I harbor on the fact of what has happened to me as a kid or young adult, and then as a when I was married, what happened, and I just focus on the negative, then it won't be a good life. If I focus on the positive and um, remember that there's always going to be someone who's had it worse and someone's had it better and before i knew christ that belief system actually helped me kind of deal with the difficult childhood i had is knowing that someone's had it worse someone's had it better and that made me ah be empathetic because i'm thinking okay i'm going through a a bad time but gosh someone's having it worse than this and that just sometimes would just make me even sadder for someone. And then I'd be thankful that I didn't, it didn't get maybe that bad or whatever it is that. that Sorry, that's not funny, but it's like, man, at least I'm not you. <laughs> I, I know, but it's sad. It's like, yeah, because um, every bad situation I've been in could have gone worse. Yeah. And I'm thankful that it didn't what caused it, the bad situation to get worse, I don't know. Because that's a, like, that is just uh, unexplainable. I've, I've been in bad situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm thankful that's where it's like, a, that's God. Kind of touching on that, like in my class that I'm taking about happiness, we've also touched on evil. And that's a really hard thing to define, but like in talking about your understandings of what's happened to you and in the good life, like do you think evil's real and that it exists? Yes. I think evil is real and it becomes more real when people do drugs and abuse drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol becomes somebody you don't recognize or do things they shouldn't be doing. Right. And for those who are not doing drugs, and before they abuse the bottle, are they doing things to another person because of their own demons? And then they're having issues separating whatever it is that's caused them to take out their anger on another person? I think, yeah, it has to be. Because it make any sense why one human would intentionally afflict pain another or intentionally take away their um, uh, I don't know what you call it in uh, sexual abuse situations but take that away yeah when I think about those things it's like that has to be evil like Mm -hmm. there's no other explanation for it Um, and something about hardship and evil feels so like senseless to me like how do you make sense of something that 
is irrational or is inherently senseless. Mm-hmm. However, I did want to kind of pose another question to you that I've been also battling with is like, on the one hand, things that are hard in life, things that are evil in life feel senseless. On the other hand, some people would say everything happens for a reason or that there's good out of every bad. I don't know if that's true, but I don't believe it. I, um, because there is no good that comes out of a mother abusing a child. There is no good about a stepfather trying to sexually, sexually abusing a stepdaughter. There is no good about a husband mentally abusing a wife. And there is no good about a boyfriend raping a girlfriend. There's none. The good that can one could say could come from is if the 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 survivor of the abuse, be it physical, sexual, or emotional, survives and they don't repeat it. Or they um if they do have a tendency they get help and then that's the good. And the good would be maybe the person being the one to have have it not continue the abuse, emotional, sexual, or physical. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't keep going to the next generation. That would be the good. Yeah. And I feel like I wish all those things didn't have to happen to anyone or mm-hmm. to you. But I feel like as a result of it I feel like I'm immensely lucky to learn from someone who's already developed certain coping skills for dealing with the hardest things that life can throw out there like not to make this selfish or about me but it's like whatever I'll face in life I'm not going to have to do it alone because my best friend is also the person who birthed me and is someone I can go to and be like you've been through hard things, hold my hand while I go through this hard thing. Like, Mm -hmm. not to get too emotional, I don't want to cry, but like, (laughs) there's so much shame and stigma around my mental health issues, but I don't feel like it's something that I can't talk to you about because I know you've had that and more. Not to make my issues not mean anything, but you've been there too, you know, or like being able to talk about loss. Mm -hmm. I lost a father, you lost a husband. Mm Mm-hmm learning that they weren't the person you thought they were you had to deal with the pain of that before I did yeah and it's like it's painful but you pave a way for me you know Mm -hmm. and that goes beyond just like the emotional stuff like I feel an immense debt slash guilt I feel guilt for everything (laughs) I mentioned this in the pod (laughs) as well I feel immense like Gratefulness, but also guilt when I think about everything you've sacrificed for me, even like in terms of finances or opportunities. Like I think about the fact that, you know, you and dad like didn't have a chance to get a bachelor's degree and you've sacrificed me following that dream of going back or delaying it or, you know, whatever it is, you've literally dropped everything for me so that I could do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it just blows my mind. And that's why I'm like, will I ever be ready for kids? Like, I I think about the sacrifices that you've made and you make every day for me. And I don't know how to put it into words. 
That's not a question. It's just a statement. I don't have words for it. It reminds me of that quote I think I've told you before that I think about a lot. That's like, parents clip their wings so their kids can fly. Mm -hmm. But no, like, parent wants to have to see their... I mean, no kid wants to have to see their parent clip their wings. I get it, but it's a happy clipping of our wings. If it makes it that our child can succeed and go further than where we were... Mm -hmm. Um, then it's, it's, it's done with pleasure and done happily because that means there is a success to clipping the wing. There is a, uh, you see the, you see what the, the goal is and you see it is met and it makes it, um, happy. I mean, you know, it's. Me delaying my education so that you can make sure you had yours? By all means, yes. I'll happily do that. Does it mean like staying at a job that I'm not crazy about? But that you can get more of what you need? I'll do it. Then that's what a, a parent should do for a child. A parent that loves their child because a parent's to love for a child is to make sure that they're given what they need and you make sacrifices not because you don't want to, you do it happily, and because you do it with love. And that's what love, a parent's love is, is sacrificially giving so your child may grow into the human being that you want to see them, what they can be. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I felt awful sometimes, like, coming back from school at this, like, beautiful, small liberal arts college where... I mean, I have jobs, but they're jobs I choose, and they're not full-time. I don't have to struggle so much the ways that you did when you were trying to get your bachelor's. And then I, like, come home and visit and see that you're coming home after working several hours on your feet in a low-paying job and seeing you stressed. And, like, it, like, I felt that duality. Like, yay, but feel bad it's like yeah I think a lot of people who come from low income or like first generation college families kind of feel that being that I'm a boner you know I've talked to some of the people who kind of feel that struggle when they go home and they're like you've been given this golden ticket opportunity but you're like why me and then what do I do with that when I see this around me mm-hmm. kind of goes though but why not you and every person has a choice they can take the opportunities and run with it like you did or they can decide not to take the opportunities and drop the ball like a brother Oop. and <laughs> let's not get into that one <laughs> yeah and it makes me proud at work when i have a vendor ask me how you're doing and i could probably say she's great she's doing you know this great job uh on the side barry she's uh, graduating or she's you know, she's on the dean's list again, and and it makes what I do, um, have, it makes it happier for me that I'm going to work and, and I get to brag about you and tell, mm-hmm. and it makes uh, the vendors happy because they also have, ki- their kids are in college too, and they're yeah. doing the same thing. They're driving a uh, tractor trailer or they're delivering potato chips or bread so that their kids can do better because that's really what every parent always wants for a child they always want their child to do better 
and whenever it's time for you to have your children adopted or foster or your own, <laughs> you're going to innately, you want your children to do better or have better than you. Yeah. Last episode in the pod, we talked about that a little bit in relation to like being that Alex and Malay and I are all daughters of immigrants and that kind of, mm, I guess guilt again is a better word for it of maybe choosing a different path and it's hard to be at the end of this college experience and having people who like don't really know dad but just know that he's not here and they'll be like oh I'm sure your dad is so, would have been so proud of you and knowing that that might not really be true mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a, a reach but I was just thinking about that about like parents who they they want the best for you and I think dad did want the best for me but it's hard knowing like my life choices would have freaked him out because I'm like majoring in the humanities and I want to work in the nonprofit like service field and I'm okay with not making six figures ever. Um, and it's hard knowing that I still just want to be accepted from someone who's literally not even here. And that's that's normal. He would always want the best for you innately underneath the culture control that he was raised in. Uh, their culture is that the child is to do what the parent says. The child is to make lots of money <laughs> through certain degrees. Mm-hmm. And also that children are, in their culture, are to stay at home and live at home through college. And sometimes some of them, even after they graduate, move back home and live. Until you get married, especially for the Until women. Until they get married. And that's, that's the culture your dad was raised in born and taught and i'm like i might not ever get married and if i have kids i might adopt them and i just know this is so like countercultural. it's very countercultural to what um he was raised mm-hmm. how he was raised how what he wanted because he did have some wishes for you which was live at home i went to school go to school at a college close by and um certain painters that um promised six-figure income and that is innately it's that wanting that child to definitely have better than him where he he has two-year degree in computer technology uh came here with like 40 bucks in his pocket and um uh only had a little bit of english speaking ability and understood comprehension went to a class English as a second language, and with my help, learned, and um, he did not want you to struggle like that, but through his culture, it's, don't struggle like I did, but these are the avenues your options are only, the opposite of me, which is, that's where he and I sometimes (laughs) battled. Yeah, and I've learned to make a little bit more peace with that where it's like it's maybe not what I would have wanted but it's it was still a form of love just well well meaning but not exactly what I needed yeah but I recognize that it was him doing his best Mm -hmm. with what he had that's a hard thing too is to know that about your parents or someone that's supposed to be this figure of support for you and I know you can relate to that too is that your parents aren't going to love you the way they should Mm mm-hmm not that I, I mean, and I've had the privilege at least to experience that with you. And 
Like, I often get jealous of people who have two parents or who have big families. Um, and while I do, like, wish I still had that, then I think about, like, okay, but my friends with big families, sometimes they're estranged from them because they put so much pressure on them or they're emotionally abusive or whatever it might be. And it's like, I don't have a lot of family in this world. I always talk about you being, like, my only <laughs> family member. But it's all the support that I could ever ask and ask for and need and it's special um yeah and i understand because i did not come from the ability to grow up in a large family i had a large family but because of my parents dynamics kind of prevented that and i learned in college um family is not always blood family is those that are there for you when you need them and that's family and that's okay. And um, I, I, that took me a, a long time because I used to be envious of people who had moms and dads to go home to because I didn't in college. Large families at Christmas and Thanksgiving, I didn't have. And uh, as I became older through college and then we're, um, Jen and I were newly married and you were little and our holidays were celebrated with friends of his from work. And uh, learn that family is what you make it. Family is the people that love you and will support you in good and bad times and that always want the best for you. That's family. I would agree with that. And I feel like I have, you know, cultivated my chosen family over the years. Like, sometimes I say, oh, like I have a mom and a sister, you know, talking about Alex, because mm-hmm. we've grown up together and our relationship is much more like sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know I'm not even the favorite sister. <laughs> but I, I would agree with that. Um, I kind of want to talk about this next chapter that we were recently discussing is like 2021 is a big year for all of us. We're all making lots of different changes and choices like in two months from the release of this episode I will be moving to Colorado and you are getting married yes <laughs> and moving and there's just going to be a lot of change like I just I guess kind of want to know do you feel like a new chapter is beginning and do you feel like better days are coming I do feel like it's a new chapter um a joyful chapter, and I refer to it as my back nine of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people go, oh, don't say that. That means your your life's ending. I'm like, no, I, actually, I feel like my life's beginning. And um, not to discount that my the front nine, I have my two kids that I love and dearly, and because of you and your brother, you know, with your brother acting out, saved me. And that was a lot of what kept me going, um, is living to do what I needed to take care of you guys. Yeah. And now I'm on the back nine where you guys are adults, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like adult is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I wear Hello Kitty slippers. That is true. <laughs> Currently, I am now. <laughs> and um, I bought them for her. So. Yes. And I love I'm, them. An, I'm an enabler. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> And, um, but sometimes I do worry, um, because I've had a difficult front nine in my life, 
that worry sometimes that something's going to happen and take it away. And that's where I think, because of the way my life was in the beginning as a kid, young adult, young married woman, um, you kind of always, you kind of had that thought process of things will be good for a little bit and something's going to happen. Be prepared. Mm-hmm. And that was a little of my survival technique when I was a kid living with my mother and father. And I don't think that ever kind of went away. And it's something I kind of learned in therapy years when I was in um, 18 to 20 therapy. Uh, that that thought process may never go away because of the trauma I went through. And that's okay. But just mm-hmm. then to then, and this where we're going knowing Christ and reading the Bible is, okay, I'm going to be thankful for today while I worry about tomorrow and tomorrow's not come. Yeah. And that's where I just focus on the day. Well, without getting too sappy, like, in some ways, I feel like we've saved each other. Like, I think it's crazy when you say, like, I've saved you. I feel like you've saved me. Like, not to get too into it, but in the throes of my really, really difficult mental health issues, what kept me going was wanting to not do anything to hurt you, you know? Mm -hmm. Or... Wanting to get better so that we could have a better relationship, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, being yes. more mature so that now I've healed from a lot of my mm, immature perspectives, or I've healed from maybe of my, like, projecting my pain of losing dad on you so that we can have a, a relationship. Yeah, and I think that's also one thing I'm excited about for your back nine, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that, is like, You've spent a lot of time having this very tense relationship, and I think that had to do with me being a teenager and also dealing with a lot of stuff, and then even as a kid dealing with the difficult household that it was, living with dad and his family and all that, and I'm really grateful that through all of the crap, Mm -hmm. there is no rhyme or reason for it and no way to explain it, but through... Now that that's sort of in the past... I feel like I've almost like I'm meeting you for the first time. Does yeah. that sound weird? No, I, and that's that's uh, accurate because a lot of the difficulty our relationship was was also besides personality was that cultural clash you had to grow up in because it was a constant battle of the culture of that your father and your grandmother um, had, and then my culture of. Do what you want. It makes you happy. <laughs> and kid first, also, because that's not the culture. Um, their culture is adult first, kid second. I'm kid first, adult second. And what makes you happy. And that caused a lot of tension. And now that it's not there, and I don't have that. Uh, and I'm also now the person I used to be. I'm not uh, so, I don't know what the word would be. Describe how I was so tense, tense and like you held us to a really, really high standard that was like impossible. But I just thought that you were like being uptight and unreasonable, and I was so angry at you. But I didn't understand that that was a result of the stress you were under and also the pressure that was put on you for us to be perfect. I didn't understand any of that. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes get mad at myself 
for being that way, but I also am learning to give myself some more grace because I was a kid and I was put in an unfair situation. Mm-hmm. You were. And it's also one of those things where it makes me sad because it's like, you always want the best for your kids and you never want them. You want to protect them from every trauma and I hate that you couldn't have protected Christian and I from the trauma of losing dad and not even so much losing him. Yes, losing him, but like mm-hmm. the worst part was everything before, like with him being sick. And then even before that, the tension of it not being a happy household, like the fighting and the never, nothing was ever just easy, you know? Yeah, I, culture clash, basically. To sum it up, is, and that's the, the crazy thing, it's like how you have difficulty identifying race wise cultural but it was a constant culture clash in the house which caused the tension and caused the fights and the problems because right. I was held to their culture but I'm not I was not raised in their culture. You're not growing up in the culture of America of Ecuador. Yeah. And you're in the culture of America. So you are also um behaving in a way that's not typical for them. Yeah. And that just it was just a constant just I remember that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's brought me back to you. And I'm excited for us to, like, be best friends. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, well, you're mine. I don't know if I'm yours, but... (laughs) You are. You're my buddy. Like like when you were little. Yeah. um, We were in in public somewhere, and someone asked, don't your dad's stores when I would take you to see him? And they said, oh, when are you going to have another sibling for her? She needs a playmate. And I, I looked at them shocked. And I said, but I'm her playmate. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't need anyone else. She has me. <laughs> and they just looked at me so confused. But, of course, came home, went to the townhome, and we had dinner at your little table. And I ate with you at the little table. And we went to your room with Barbie stuff. And I laid down with you and read your books. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm she doesn't need anybody. I'm hers. <laughs> it's funny because it's become very full circle, and that's how I feel. And the pain of not really having any other family except for you, it sometimes bothers me, but then I'm like, I don't need anyone else. I have you. <laughs> so I'm in your position as well. Uh-huh. Um, well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. You're welcome. I'm proud to be your daughter. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm proud of you, and... To wrap up, I actually just have one last request. Yes. Um, tell me something good. Either something good that has happened to you recently or just something good that you witnessed. Oh, gosh. Good that I witnessed. Mm. I can't think of anything. Sure you can. I'll give you a second to think about it. I'll tell you something that I can share. Okay. Um, something good that I witnessed today was, you know, I lost my cat of 17 years, Condorito, and it was like losing a sibling. And I was really deeply upset that I couldn't be there to be with him when he passed away. And I had to be like sobbing over FaceTime, which was like (laughs) the worst. Um, and I recently saw one of my best friends from high school and she gave me a portrait of Condorito that she had painted for me. Uh, I don't want to cry, but it just meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a cat. He was my furry little brother. <laughs> yes, he was. 
<laughs> I, we got him when I was five, and I'm halfway to 23, and he just passed away a couple weeks ago. And so mm-hmm. having that was just one of the best gifts I've ever been given because it was given from the heart. And that is that loss hurts, but that gift just made my heart sing today. It made me feel really happy. That's one good thing. You had some time to marinate on your good thing. It doesn't have to happen to you. It could even be something that you saw or witnessed. It doesn't even have to be today. It could be just relatively recently. And it can be simple. This is the podcast all about the good life. You have to tell me something good. We can't end without you telling me. My fiancé and I finished our, deciding our wedding invitations last night. And so that we now are just waiting for them to be mailed to us so we can then mail them out to people. Yay! That yeah. is a great thing. That Why are you thing. searching in your brain for something good? That's amazing. Well, I don't know. I guess just uh, <laughs> so used to just everything is a task. You just get it done. That whole concept yeah. of of uh, task, get it done. Task, get it done. <laughs> but yeah, that was yeah. Wedding invitations. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I'm excited. Me too. <laughs> um, well, thank you all for tuning into the Good Life Pod. In case you forgot, my name is Madeline, and I'll see you next time.